You're listening to Cultivation Elevated, hosted by Michael Williamson, where we discuss vertical farming and the future of cannabis and food production. You'll be learning key insights for vertical farming success from leading industry operators, growers, and executives. If you're a grower or owner looking to optimize your existing or new indoor cultivation facility, or anyone looking to cultivate more in less space, we've got you covered. Cultivation Elevated, sponsored by Pip Particulture. What's up, bro? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first thing I'll say is it's nice to see you outside of the farm. Yeah, likewise. Um, And when you have a name like Fog City Farms, if you're not from this area, you don't really understand what that's all about. So now we're literally in the... She's showing up for you today. That's really... It's actually just been that type of year, this... The June gloom has been, like, real predominant this year. And it's funny because it'll sit in this area of the county, like extra heavy. And I love it because it's just what I was raised with. The sunny side of the county, the foggy side of the county, all of it. And I just, there's something about this area that just is defined by it. So, but it does make it tough to farm outdoors for sure. Yeah, the the greenhouse (laughs) lessons are tough, but luckily you're indoors and you've been indoors for six years now. Uh You were number one indoor vertical farm for pit horticulture and helped shape up most of the products that are available to farmers today, which I've seen all over the world now. And it all started and stemmed somehow from here to yeah. some degree. Which is such a trip. It's, it's, it was a perfect storm of experience, ingenuity, networking, taking a realistic approach towards the California market and just farming in general and just good old fashioned, get it done, work hard, find solutions. And uh, you know, now we're here. So. I've been doing some podcasts over the last couple years now, and I've been traveling with you and others with PIP and all over the country and now starting to get an international travel. And there's no place like California. It yeah. is completely different. Um, it's so deeply rooted in culture that it exudes into the facilities, it exudes into the brands. And now what I'm seeing when I travel, and I just had this experience recently, I was in Germany for a a conference in Berlin, a group came up to the PIP horticulture booth, and I said, well, who are you, who are you with? And their brand was called Cali Mary. Hmm. And I said, oh, that's an interesting name, what did you come up with that name for? And they said, well, California cannabis is the best cannabis in the world and it's a pinnacle of cannabis. Mm. These people were not from California. I'm not sure if they had ever visited California, (laughs) but they were smart enough to know that if you're trying to have a high-end brand and associate yourself with the highest pinnacle of flower in the world, it's California. Right. I mean, I'm a coal miner in a coal town. Like that's really like the way I look at it. This is a plant that I'm super passionate about and I enjoy the consumption of the plant on the daily on a daily basis and the medicinal effects that I personally use it for but really it's also everything else that is provided from for us from an industrial perspective the ability to find a way to to pay a mortgage and raise a family in a place that is the actually as of I think last month it is the most expensive county in the country to live and there's this huge disproportionate spread of wealth and available careers in this town where it's like you you either grow up on one side of the coin or the other and so for a lot of us the the 
looser regulations in our region contributed towards us being specialists in a way that that other communities weren't able to achieve because of proximity because we prop 215 allowed us to gain an experience base and, and an understanding of farming generationally that a lot of other folks weren't able to do that's the thing know? here is you have so. multiple generations like i was talking to yeah. your cousin earlier he's a second gen right. and if you go to the east coast states and these new emerging states like you have a lot of people that have spent time out here or maybe worked out here a little bit but they don't have that deeply rooted culture and we're seeing that culture is becoming maybe one of the most important things for cannabis operations in terms of <clears throat> morale productivity right. um, loyalty with employment and stuff like that a lot of people get excited about the cannabis industry and then they jump into it and if you're not from this and you're not cut right. from this cloth you find out pretty quickly that it's pretty gruesome work and it's really challenging all the time and sometimes the rewards seem low compared to the amount of effort that's going in. Totally, I, I think there was a huge underestimation of how difficult this is gonna be in the space. From all the incoming kind of opportunistic approaches towards the cannabis space in the past five years, six years in California where, where it's also not experienced in the actual industry locally, right? So, so many of these numbers are skewed like how much product is actually being consumed here? What type of product is actually being consumed here? What's gonna happen and where is the timing in regards to federal legalization? And how do we build business models taking, into all, taking all this stuff into account? And our model came from stocking the shelves and operating in, for over a decade before we went legal. And so we're like, okay, we could build acres of greenhouse, but that stuff's not getting consumed in California on a regular basis. It is during the best time of the year, but sure. not on an annual basis. Yep. And, and what really drives the market here is high-end indoor product that you can harvest 365 days a year and get the same exact quality. Doesn't matter if it's foggy or sunny or rainy outside. Not to say that some of the best greenhouse weed isn't grown under this marine layer because it is, but there's also a host of other issues you have to sort through that make it more difficult. But it's... I think that us having that cultural influence, just within my family even, allowed us to assess our business model and say, okay, we're gonna stay small, nimble. We're gonna try to build a brand that is built upon us actually producing something. Sure. <laughs> and we're gonna do good work and get known for that. And. I think there was a lot of like, oh, let's drown out the market or let's take losses or let's, we're, this is gonna be easy, whatever. <laughs> and, well, and look at all yeah. the people that just said, we're gonna be the biggest. And they yeah. said, there was this like delusion of, if we're the biggest, we'll be the best. We'll right. have the most market share, but we're, it, it's clear that being the biggest isn't the best. And we've seen some of the biggest operators, typically MSOs, now exiting the state of California because they simply can't compete. Um, they seem they they clearly can compete better in new emerging markets mm -hmm. with maybe a less sophisticated end user. Sure. Um, but yeah. here in California, like you either are or you are not. Right. Um, and totally. we've now witnessed that you were right in the middle of it, but a cleansing process. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the total number was of applications that did not get renewed last year, but it was well over a thousand. Yeah. So a lot of people are hanging up their hat. In some counties, it's over fifty percent. 
of the licenses. I don't see that yeah. as a bad thing. Yeah. I don't think that it, just because you can get a license doesn't mean that you should you should be successful and thrive in this industry. Just because you throw a bunch of money at something doesn't guarantee success. I think people that know what they're doing and understand the value of genetics and how to really dial them in and push that plant to its maximum potential, those are the people that kind of deserve to play. Um, totally. And, and unfortunately, not every one of those groups decided to to build a brand or to diversify in certain ways. So they grow really good weed, but weren't able to compete with 50 lamps or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, but that's a natural course of things as well in the market. And so we're too, like, it's a, it's a, it's unfortunate because there are some unbelievable operators and some real like industry history that is, that is had to tap out as well. But I think that the, the groups that, kind of built their models anticipating taking losses trying to drown out the rest of the market those are the ones that we we need to thin out or at least get them to get to a more realistic scale well, <laughs> well, and so, before oh a craft yeah. farmer was considered or like a micro license or some of these things yeah. in our states was considered oh you're just you, you're not gonna you're not gonna amount to much yeah and now people are actually pushing more in that direction, realizing that's totally. actually more of a sustainable model. And then we can grow it as it, as it can grow instead right. of trying to force growth when it's just not quite there yet. As corny as it sounds, man, like the love and the passion and the weight of it all definitely comes through in the farming process. It's not everybody dries their weed for 15 days. Not everybody hand trims all of their premier flower especially in some of these emerging markets where you don't really need to in order to people are just happy to go to the store and buy absolutely weed. In the like, first couple of years of an emerging market they'll yeah, buy anything totally but the consumer becomes educated quickly yeah. and then all of a sudden yeah. they realize they've been being bamboozled for the last couple of years for sure for um, sure so i gotta say everything you guys you can tell if you open a jar you can feel the love in this jar right on um you can feel the hand trim the selection the quality control the variety of nose on this stuff. It's nice to be able to smell it as strongly as I do sitting right here with this With the wind right blowing, now. sure. It's, it's like, it's a, that's what we're all about. We're all about flavor. So unfortunately, um, one of the things that was fairly unrealistic in the California market was that coming up into the legalized, to the legal market, a lot of the buyers in the state, and this is my own uh, kind of opinion on what set this expectation, but they were essentially starting to knock down the growers based off of THC results. So this is pre-branding or anything, right? You show up with a hundred different bags and they go, oh, okay, what's this one test at? What's this one test at? What's this one test at? And next thing you know, they're like knocking you on price based off of whatever THC result it is. And I'm like, are you seeing this bag? This is beautiful and it smells yeah. amazing. Yeah, and this, this is, how is this not what you want to experience? Oh, test at 18%, we're gonna need to, we're gonna knock you down to this. And it would just, and all of a sudden you start seeing that translate into the branded market on the shelves. Whereas you come in, you're talking to a buyer, oh, this test at 24%, sorry, we can't even put that on the shelves. And we're like, wait, what? Like, don't you understand that some of the best genetics in the game are gonna be testing sub 25%, you know what I mean? And, and that there's also this whole other thing called the entourage effect involved here that like, definitely has an effect on the cerebral experience with consuming the product. And so like for me, strawberry jam 
this one came in at 26, which is, some people would be like, oh, it's not that's 30. just about there, but uh, not yeah, quite. Yeah. But you will get lit smoking sure. this strawberry jam. And just as lit is something that tests at 30 with less than 1% terpenes. Yep. And so what people don't understand is that like when you're growing at a certain scale, and it's not to knock scaled growing because I know at some point that is going to be what it is, especially when the federal laws come down and California greenhouses are really pushing a lot of the product throughout the country. But not to say that there's not going to be huge indoors locally everywhere because there will be. A lot of the outdoor and greenhouse product, I think at some point will probably come from here. And But it's difficult to process that amount of plant material and not degrade terpenes. You have to introduce some heat. You have to do certain things to mitigate other pathogen influences. And so you start to sacrifice a little terpene. Whereas for us, it's like we keep it at 60 and 60 for as long as it takes to get exactly where it needs to be. Yeah. You're not on and a schedule. So, it's like when the plant's ready, we, we move it to the next stage. Totally. And we can squeeze all of that plant material into a 15 by 15 room. By, and that's a lot of plant material, but you could theoretically with the amount, with the small batch rotations that we have. But you if know? you guys didn't have the experience that you had going into this, you wouldn't be able to do what you do in the spaces that you do it in exactly. the way that you do it in. And so a lot of people get involved and they throw a lot of money at something and they think that like the equipment is going to solve the problems or the technology is going to solve the problems. But like at the end of the day, it's people like you, it's people like your family on your team. They're the ones that like are solving problems. It's it's such a weird space because there were no rules or no models for any of us to develop by. Sure. <laughs> so, which is, comes full circle to the whole PIP VAS conversation. It's like when we were first designing this thing, it was like, there was nothing for us to model anything by. It well, and it was like, for you. Right. I made my, I made the greenhouse trays for me. Right. You totally. made VAS for you. Right. Because you were trying to solve a problem. I was trying to solve a problem. hundred percent. But then we yeah. realized that our problem is going to be a lot of other people's problems. And we were early enough timing wise to have an opportunity to actually bring an ancillary product to market that helps growers to this day. Totally. And hopefully continues to help them for, for many, many years to come. Something on your label that I thought was interesting, and it's almost sad that it is on here. Not that it's sad, <laughs> yeah, right. but it's sad that you have to state it because I don't think a lot of people know this, but like you, right on your label, it says we grow our own, 100% of Fog City products are grown in our facilities. Right. And I don't think people realize when it comes to like, when you say I'm building a real brand, like you have control over all of your brand where a lot of these white label brands, they're just open sourcing on the spot market and they're repackaging other stuff into their label and trying to create this brand with off of somebody else's work. Mm -hmm. And typically there's a big difference, I think, with the product that you're gonna wholesale out to the market and the product that you're gonna put in your own jar with your own logo that's associated with your own name. Totally. From a quality standpoint. 100% man. And that's a really good point. It, and, it, and there was a time and it still continues to be that way, e even though we're getting more and more established and which means we're vertically integrating more of our stuff and we become our own little kind of fog city island. But when you're competing with brands that are sourcing all their own product, there's almost just like this unfair advantage that comes from them being able to operate so lean in the early days of the California market. And then because they get to just hammer people on price and then and fill their jars with AAA grade product. Because like I said, there were a ton of 
really good producers that took that model and said, you know what, we're just really good at what we do. We're gonna run this high grade product and people are gonna keep coming back to us. But then when the market got reached its saturation point last year, most of those people failed. Unfortunately, because there's a lot of really good operators, but you just can't operate indoor at that scale selling product to $800 a pound. It's just not gonna work. And so, so, so now there's even less of us that, that grow our own product. And so we choose to highlight that. And when I do my trainings around the state, I'm talking to bud tenders and I, I ask them, do you know about the two different pieces that some brands source all their products and some people grow all their product? And when you're buying our product, you're buying product that was literally grown by my cousins in the farm. I started this thing with my father-in-law and one of my best friends. When we first launched the distribution aspect of our company, my mom and dad were driving the weed around the state. You know what I mean? Literally showing up to all the stores, knew everybody. Delivered by mom, it's pretty strong. And it was, it's, what I always say is that look, some of the best winemakers in the world don't grow any grapes. So there's nothing wrong with that business model. And someday that'll be a, a big piece of this. But there is something a little different when you show up to the family winery and they're, they've taught themselves generationally how to grow this stuff. They're bringing fresh new ideas with different people throughout the family and, or their ancillary uh, group. And they have to distribute it and they have to brand it and they have to do all of these things that are no easy task. And so, I think that the grit and the heart and the soul of it really comes through in our product. It's what makes it special yeah. uh, versus just like another skew or another product. You've had to, you've had to create a lot of additional skews as well, just outside of flour. So this is your top colas, your hand trim, right. but you have a lot of other yeah. products as well. So these are our foggies. Okay. This is actually an interesting one. This is the Santa Cruz dream cut, which, almost became obsolete there at one point, but now it's like making a huge resurgence and we're really happy about that because, just because it produces really well and it doesn't mean that it's not an unbelievable flavor profile and the- Is it okay uh, to open? Yeah, yeah, go for it, yeah. And it's undeniably Blue Dream, which is something yeah. that's so cool with all these different hybrids these days that you're like, oh, I can smell that SFV or I can smell this or that, it's like, there's not really, it's, it's unmistakable. There's nothing you know? else that smells like that. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. Uh, sometimes yeah. Blue Dream, like there was a time where it got a bad rep, like most anything that gets overproduced, but then just like the ebbs and flows, or almost like you can almost look at like fashion, like things sure. that become fashionable in the 80s and recirculate 30 years later. Same thing's true here. Like who's grown Blue Dream really well these days? Right. And it's a Santa Cruz It's genetic. from here. Yeah. And so a lot of the haze based stuff is all from Santa Cruz. And so, we're really looking forward to pushing a lot of that stuff. In the near future, we've got a big Sir Holy crossed with our Pacific Gas strain that is coming at some point soon, and some Coastal Muffins, which is an interesting genetic cross of... Some blueberry stuff in there? Yep, yeah, totally. And that was all bred here. And yeah, we've got other stuff that we're working on. We've got these shark bites that we're really excited about. These, true to like the Fog City Way are, are really all about the flavor. So a, solventless rosin pre-roll yeah. rolled in bubble hash. That's a little. That's a little different. <laughs> that's, that's a not little Keith. different. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. Okay, but exactly, uh, it, it's a more refined 
dusting, right? So it's not the keef, it's the, we've got like straight ice water hash on there. So you've mm -hmm. got, and then you've got rosin underneath that. So, and then it's all Foggy's flour and those things. And so it's, it's yeah, you're not, are, you're not getting cheap third-party flour from somewhere. Or, trim, or, or yeah. even we separate all of our stems, like all the little granules that like, the like kind of potty pieces of the flour, we separate that stuff. This is, these things are like a little work of art, each one of them. And following up after these, we've got drips, we got all kinds of stuff. You, know? you guys so, have been having fun. Yeah, it's And totally, you've been, you've been yeah, pulling in yeah. the local region, right? Totally. Like, I remember the Manresa shark incident over here right. a few years ago. We're in a pretty sharky zone right now. This is one of the sharkiest zones in the world right here, for sure. Um, and for the most part, sharks, it's usually, a, it's usually a, a, like a, a bump or a, a, maybe a little nibble and just a, a pass by. I've yeah. been passed by a couple times, but it's a yeah. It's these will chomp you. Sure. <laughs> That's what we say. Sure. Get, get nice. chomped is yeah, the, is the like thing. It. So everything that we do is regionally based, and that's what Fog City. From the very beginning, it was like. That not again. Not that there's anything wrong with the more canna-centric flora-centric, whatever type of brands. But it was like, how do we create something that like is representative of this region and the history here and like what we do. And at the, down in, in Marina, they call that Fog Town. San Francisco is the OG Fog City. The Central Coast region is just known for the marine layer. And we had a Fog City OG back in the day. And, and one day I was just driving past the lookout point. I looked out up above the marine layer out of the whole thing and it was just like, oh, Fog City Farms. Just came to you in that Boom. moment, huh? <laughs> well, I love that so. you guys are like, undeniably yourselves. Right. You know, everyone's trying to pretend or be something. I know that a lot of this brand is you. What are some of the challenges of building a brand and then trying not to necessarily be the brand? Mm. Build something that's bigger than you? Sure. I always find that to be challenging, especially when you're this intimate with the product and you do really well on camera and you know taking time to educate bud tenders i've heard you've been traveling around the state quite a bit and i can't tell you how important that is i'm so disappointed in my typical retail experience because of the lack of knowledge on the other side sure. of the counter totally yeah you know um that's the thing it's so what i always say is that we're more and i you know you can use alcohol as a comparison a lot we're more on like the regional wine or like a Sierra Nevada beer space rather than a Budweiser, right? It's Sierra Nevada is something that has effectively branded the West Coast region and coming from the Chico area and the foothills underneath the Sierra Nevadas and the history behind all of it. And they might not be as big as a Budweiser, but it's still a gigantic brand. Sure. And they've done very well staying true to themselves and so that that's the way that we look at it we look at the history here we look at the team that's doing this we look at our practices and our experience and we try to bring in the whole cultural and like the regional kind of effect because we're also lucky to be from here so this is where a lot of people go for vacation we live you it's know? a magical spot like I told yeah. you earlier, I lived just down the street from here. My yeah. second daughter was born in this neighborhood. Or we used to walk to this cliff all the time. And there's really no other landscape that's this dramatic. And I know that this film isn't going to totally take in what it sure. actually looks like behind us and what it looks like when you look back from the water at the cliff. And 
there's just this is some of the most dramatic landscape I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, man. Big Sur to San Francisco. That's been the thought process from the beginning. This is our home territory and how do we represent it well, effectively, authentically. Well, I think you're doing just that. Thanks, man. And I don't know. It's just so cool to watch your brand grow. And it's also been interesting to watch you go through so many genetics in a multi-tiered environment. And I remember talking to you early on, you had said something to me that was like, oh, we're trying all this different stuff, trying to see what works in our system. But then I had talked to you maybe, it was probably a year or two later, and the, you could feel a confidence switch. Mm. And you were basically like, I can grow anything in this system. For sure. And it's yeah. just really managing my veg times, understanding what plants I'm working with and what their traits are, mm -hmm. and then timing and, and planning and some slight manipulation after that. Totally, yeah. Experience really played a part, I think, us in our, in our learning curve. We had an idea of what genetics we were gonna run right off the bat with it. Um, but it definitely, we definitely got caught slipping a couple times with leggier OGs and different things like that we had to wrestle with a little bit, make sure we're training the canopy to avoid highlight intensities and things like that. But at this point, another th thing, again, is our kind of like genetic library and our experience with it. We have an idea of stretch rates. And so we're always trying, we'll start off a room, one genetics here, one genetics here, one genetics here, and they all just find a way to wrap up at the right elevation. You it's know? almost like how the like the law of the jungle works like if there's light to be taken some low sapling from below is going to come fill that void especially if the genetics lend to it and so trying to make sure that you're playing to the genetics and then we've got a little bit more forgiveness on our upper tier for things that because we do all of our veg work in greenhouses and so that's something that regionally is an option for us and that's not an option for everybody like but, almost um, no one else exactly that's... right so but so that adds a complexity to things that is sure. a little different based off of time of year and light intensities and all that so you're gonna deal with hiccups this is a biological process even if you're if you know if you're vegging indoors things can happen and so learning how to mitigate those and assess those things is important as well. One of the things that you used to say to me a lot was like, this is a glorified R&D facility. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. But it's so fascinating too, because when you think of like R&D, you don't always think about building a brand. It's like the dirty work that someone has to do sure, totally. to sift through all the stuff or to figure out what a winner is. And then a brand is usually built like at another location or something. And mm -hmm. you've actually been able to do both. Yeah. It, it's that just brings a just rush of kind of memories and energy from the past five years because it definitely hasn't been easy but it's i think we were built to learn on the fly in this platform and we definitely did and we were able to take the best of the best and build a brand as well and so that was the goal from the very beginning it was to make sure that we set ourselves apart as a brand because it's the only that's the only security that i see in this market and when this, the state's growing a thousand times more product that could ever be consumed here, you got to figure out a way to carve out your own little chunk that's impervious to all that. That can go like this, and we've set a consumer expectation, and they can rely on us to do what we do, and we didn't outgrow the demand of our brand, and, mm -hmm. or just start here and try to build a brand that grows into that. Like, we did it the opposite way. And so, 
So, so yeah, for us to manage to do both those things at the same time was, without getting too far into all of it, it was crazy. <laughs> but we, but it was, but I would say that our uniformity that we have right now with a beach with the vertical farm, mm -hmm. it allows you to have a consistency that in our crop rotations, being indoor farmers, that other groups aren't able to have. So. That's another thing to think about when you're developing these spaces. It's Do you like, find a lot of loyalty, brand loyalty, when, with a higher level of consistency in the product? A hundred percent, yeah. And so, you know what I always tell people when I'm helping them design their facilities, and I'm like, okay, so why are you lumping all of this into just these huge spaces? Like, why don't you break it down a little bit? It's easier on your supporting pieces, like your dry room and your veg space and all of that labor and then you your labor and then you have and then you have more consistent turns you have fresh products small batch and and so that paired with having that close proximity blanket of light blanket of airflow enables you to have this very consistent jarable flower that doesn't need to be that's the, the beauty of the vertical platform is that you don't have these you have higher yields but it's almost deceiving because you've got thousands of tennis balls all throughout the space instead of a couple hundred baseball bats. Sure, <laughs> so, sure. and, so you're, and so you don't have to mess with it as much and break it down the same way in order to get that jarable flower. And it's all like fairly jarable right off the bat. And so that's a, definitely a contributor. To I mean, I haven't well. seen your flower in two years. And it, this is what I love about cannabis is like in the last two years, your flower is better. Right on. It's visually smells, it's improved. And right I don't on. know that it's like a significant improvement by mm -hmm. any means, but I can see that there's an improvement. Thank you. And yeah. some people just get, they're like, I've been doing this for 20 years. And they're yeah. like, they're already the best in their head. And right. they just start to plateau mm -hmm. and they're not pushing and they're not trying new stuff. And they're not looking at others and, and being collaborative. And I don't know, it's just always good to see continuous improvement with good brands. Appreciate and it. Man. I for sure see continuous improvement here. I appreciate that very much, yeah. A lot of processes go into getting it to this point. It's like the QC process, the sorting process, obviously the cultivation and the processing. It's a I say this a lot, I'm like, it, a lot of people can grow great flour and it looks really good on Instagram and it, you're yeah. in the grow and the big colas and everything and it smells great, but then that none of that matters if I don't, if I, when you open, it also matters is when you open the jar and you look inside and like it's either on or it's off and right. you can have the prettiest packaging you can spend the most money in marketing but if the flower inside's trash it's trash straight up um 100 but yeah i don't even want to smoke some of these are so pretty <laughs> well you get to take them with you so. speak oh <laughs> thank you sir speaking of uh, continuous improvement we've been making some modifications to vertical air solutions can right you, can you do you want to talk a little bit about that for a moment sure so I know that as it stands right now, we've got the version 1.5 yep. that's coming out with some of the kind of physical improvements to the construction and engineering of the system to add for more, a more balanced and stronger delivery of airflow. It's also gonna lower the cost because it's all made out of galvalume and, and we're shrinking some of the dimensions so we're using less material. Mm -hmm. This is something that we want to release now as we understand the benefits of the further engineering. 
that we've done with PIP at this point. But with a goal to really drastically drop the price of the product by using other materials in the future. So I think that is uh, the ultimate goal and that could happen here within the next hopefully six months or something like that. But the but as it stands right now, we've got an unbelievable solution. I think we're, I don't want to put a percentage on how much we're able to drop the price tag on it yet because we're not all the way finished. But but it's going to significantly decrease the price and increase performance, which is amazing. And the so. increase on performance, and I, don't hold me to it. My understanding is it's almost double. Double the velocity. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So you're you're getting a two X for. A, sig a significant discount of what it is mm -hmm. today. Definitely. And, and that's exciting. And that, this is all part of continuous improvement. This is that For Kaizen sure. mentality at work. Yeah, we, you need to take into account everybody's goals in, in, in configuring these systems. And sometimes some of those higher elevation changes need stronger airflow. And so you might as well make sure that you can do that without just using a stronger pan and fan and using more power. A so. lot of people don't realize like the length of the row dictates so much in sure. how you move and balance air. Totally. And I think that's an area with the statistics that I've seen on some of the fluid modeling and some of that stuff that and some of the airflow modeling, um, we're, we're trending in a really strong direction and there's not a lot of other competitors that will be able to meet those specifications in the future, which, no. which is exciting. Yeah, this is the forefront of it. You know, this stuff wasn't and hasn't ever been studied to this extent until now, which is super interesting to right. think about. That's a big reason why we had to develop our own solution because it didn't exist. And, and we were going to, you know, the foremost authority in vertical farming from a traditional ag perspective. and multiple groups were like well this is what we do and it's that's not going to work for us we got to figure something else out well and one of the challenges was i think on the airflow modeling it's really the cannabis plant itself right if you like take the plant out of the equation can you do a bunch of airflow modeling tracking and stuff absolutely but as soon mm. as you enter the cannabis plant due to its shape and biomass and yep. other stuff it just changes the whole thing and they're really like you said they're no one's really done that work at that high level it's yeah. literally happening as we talk totally yeah it's a pretty unreal experience to have gotten into while just trying to develop our farm and we had no expectation in getting into global equipment manufacturing you know? <laughs> but it's, it's been an unreal journey and i wouldn't trade it for anything we've had great partners every step of the way and we're still learning you know i'm curious and it's a hope of mine but after spending a little bit of time in Europe and seeing that market start to get its feet, but also looking at that market and saying, wow, this really feels like 10 years ago mm -hmm. in the States. I'm really hoping that countries outside North America mm -hmm. can learn some of the hard, can learn the lessons that Canada specifically and the United States have learned and hopefully not go down those same paths. It's clear unregulated oversupply hurts the farmer. Oh yeah. And there's even other influences there in these more kind of in dealing with some of the municipalities in Europe and different places that are it's going to be interesting to see how they go about it for the word that comes to mind is traditional and the way that they approach the development of some of these business cultures is a little bit different than we are out here and so but there's some cool partnerships that are happening right now with some of the 
the power producers out there and looking like really forward thinking business models in indoor ag. And so we've got some cool stuff that we've been talking to and, and working on out in, in Europe and um, even Australia, New Zealand and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it's all over so right it's now. A, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a cool space to be in seeing these markets emerge, you know, so we saw it happen in the States and, you know, in the U.S. that didn't have anything before. And it's just, like I said, people couldn't go to the store, you know, for the past 20 years and buy weed like we've been able to in California. So it's interesting to see it happen. So, yeah. California is yeah. like no other place in the world. I'll, I'll yeah. just say that as like a, someone who's lived here, but also an outsider, like I, there's no other place like it in the world in the cannabis yeah. space. My man. Dude, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for listening to Cultivation Elevated. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at pithorticulture.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash cultivation elevated. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.